Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Today's program is coming to you live from the 2016 Pennsylvania Farm Show, the 100th edition of the world's largest indoor agricultural exhibition. Coming up, we'll learn about a new milkshake at the Pennsylvania Farm Show for the first time in 60 years, a crop and product that Pennsylvania produces more than any other state, mushrooms, and sustaining the environment. But up front, Pennsylvania Secretary of Agriculture Russell Redding is with us in what can be described as a state of agriculture in Pennsylvania. Secretary Redding, welcome to the program. It's great to be here. Welcome to Farm Show. I always enjoy our time at the Farm Show. Uh, you know, we come out at least once a year, and I'd like to look at it as as a state of agriculture in Pennsylvania. But this year, I want to, before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about the 100th edition of the Pennsylvania Farm Show. From your point of view, what does this event mean? Well, you know, we are really fortunate in Pennsylvania to have a state-sponsored show. This is something the Department of Agriculture hosts, but it has been sort of sanctioned by our Commonwealth. You know, legislature acted many years ago, 100 years ago, to say we really ought to have a place to uh, convene farmers and agriculture at that point in 1916. Of course, 100 years on, the show has changed to certainly a lot about consumers and engaging the public, but it is still anchored in uh, the industry of agriculture. And we hope to talk about, uh, talk with Mary Klaus, who has written a book, The Pennsylvania Farm Show of 100, a little bit later in the program. But how much has it grown? I mean, I'm sure you, as the secretary, uh, realize uh, and understand the history of it. Uh, how much has the farm show grown over the years? Well, the farm show, you know, think about the, in, in the first farm show, it was scattered around Harrisburg in 10 different buildings. Uh, downtown. Really? Yeah. It wasn't here. I mean, this, this complex is a Depression-era building. Uh, so everything that happened prior to that, uh, in between 1916 and, and 1930, roughly, uh, was scattered around Harrisburg. Um, so scattered, uh, you had a map and you got off the train or your car and you went and find the exhibits. It was an agrarian society at that point. Right. And today it's an economic enterprise, so it's changed uh, tremendously in that way. 41% of uh, Pennsylvanians in 1916 were involved in, in production agriculture. Today it's about 2%. So you think of those changes and what that means. But it has really grown in both presentation of food and food products, the industry of agriculture, all of the extended sort of processing that has occurred in Pennsylvania, manufacturing, uh, but it is really still focused on sort of the, the enterprise of agriculture. Now, when you say that uh, two percent of uh, Pennsylvania families involved uh, on on farms, uh, we often hear that agriculture is Pennsylvania's number one industry. How is that so? If two percent are involved in directly in farming. Yeah, so the number one industry piece, I've come to sort of put that to the side and just look at it as a major economic enterprise. You and I know that a lot of sort of agriculture, it's not one-dimensional, right? It's, there's tourism attached to it, there's food processing, there's distribution. We're here in central Pennsylvania where we know well the distribution routes were the Keystone State. Uh, I've tried to sort of move away from the number one just because it ends up, you know, uh, you get into these questions of how. Well, you can measure that by land, right? 7.7 .7 million acres is probably nothing bigger in industry than that. Uh, jobs, there's 500,000 uh, when you look at the full spectrum of both production agriculture all the way through to retail. There's a, not a lot of ways to do it, but it seems to be an exercise in, in trying to you know, classify an industry that really is so diverse and, and um, uh, important uh, across the state. So this is call it a, an economic enterprise. As I said, I always like to use this as kind of a state of uh, Pennsylvania agriculture coming the night after, or the morning after uh, the State of the Union address. Uh, 
If you had to describe the state of agriculture in Pennsylvania right now, how would you do that? I'd say it's strong. Uh, it is growing. Uh, it is challenged. Um, no question about it. You know, we, we are reminded every day uh, of, of the importance of, of agriculture here. Um, we are linked to both a national and global market. What has happened in China uh, in the last several months, particularly the last couple of weeks, has really uh, cast a long shadow uh, for Pennsylvania. Our dairy industry is dependent on exports. Our grain markets are dependent on exports. Our poultry, everything is dependent on that link to a larger market. 95% of the world's uh, uh, stomachs is somewhere <laughs> other than the United States of America. So we have 5% of the population. If you're going to be in the food business as we are, you have to go looking for the consumers. The consumers are someplace other than the United States of America. You just mentioned something that uh, I guarantee 95% of the people in this state don't think about, that uh, what happens in China. I mean, we've often heard that we are in a global economy, but that's a little bit different, what you're talking about there. You're talking about uh, what people need to survive and uh, it, you know, what's happened in China with their economy finally slowing down over the last few months and then having an impact here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, 30% of the uh, corn and soybeans produced in the United States go to China, 30%. Uh, so every third row, when you look at those fields, is headed to China. 10% uh, of the, the dairy exports in Pennsylvania are destined for China. Uh, it is an amazing uh, development. That is a change uh, in the last sort of 10 years or so. So what happens to the value of the dollar? China, uh, the, the world view of what Pennsylvania produces. There are some very bright spots uh, around that. You know, they, they like our hardwoods, uh, they like our snack foods, uh, they like the genetics of, of cattle and, and, and uh, livestock here in Pennsylvania. So a lot of opportunity, but uh, we're also reminded this week that we are linked both locally uh, with our markets, but also globally. What about poultry? Uh, one of the real changes this year at the farm show is that you do not have uh, the birds are, aren't here because of the concerns about avian flu. We know that China, about a decade ago, maybe even longer, uh, Asia had a real problem with even a deadlier form of avian flu. Uh, has that slowed down exports uh, of uh, poultry to uh, to China? Well, it, it slowed initially. Uh, so a year ago, um, we were experiencing high path AI in the United States. It was on the West Coast, moving to the mid part of the country. So between January of last year and March, uh, 22 states were hit with high path AI. We don't have it in Pennsylvania. Every day without it's a good day. Uh, but during that period of early 2015, it did impact what was available in the world market because of the supply. It's building back, uh, and, the, and the flocks in the Midwest are back online. We've done okay. In fact, it's been an exceptional year on the prices of poultry and eggs just because of short supply in other parts of the country. Mm -hmm. You mentioned eggs. Uh, yesterday on Smart Talk, uh, we had a, a part of our program was devoted to the, the new federal dietary guidelines that were released. And good new, news for those who uh, do produce eggs in Pennsylvania in that uh, uh, eggs was taken off that not recommended list. Uh, we're looking at, uh, without getting too far in the weeds, they were looking at daily consumption of uh, cholesterol. Mm -hmm. So how much do you, as the Secretary of Agriculture, uh, how much does the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture, how much does Pennsylvania, do Pennsylvania farmers pay attention to what the feds are recommending? 
Well, it's interesting uh, to be at the farm show and be talking about dietary guidelines. I know. But, uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's okay. Um, but it's important because what, what happened in the presentation of the draft guidelines, there was a significant move in, um, in the direction of uh, you know, not, not consuming red meat. Uh, the egg issue was raised. There were some conservation, uh, sort of extended sort of environmental components that were put on the draft. Uh, what you see today, though, is, is something more balanced and, and probably an appropriate term for the dietary guidelines, really bringing that balance back. Uh, they're still uh, very um, clear about sort of the consumption of sugars, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and as they should be. And uh, salt. So, but to answer your point, I mean, I think the, the ag community uh, certainly um, is well aware of the new guidelines. Um, they understand that that's one of the issues where consumers are making a lot of judgments about what to eat, uh, and we have worked hard to connect that consumption and uh, production and consumption. So they're asking questions, but they're all good questions. I, I think the ag community understands their responsibility as a food producer and provider, that they have to be aware of that. Uh, we get, only get a chance every five years to really talk about the guidelines, which is also important. So that really casts for the next five years uh, what the guidelines uh, that you see sort of offered around product and meals is going to be. Mm-hmm. What are some of the challenges? You mentioned the word challenges a little while ago. What are some of the challenges Pennsylvania farmers are facing and the ag industry in the state? I think there are a couple. Uh, one is uh, certainly um, the economics of agriculture, and, and we've talked briefly about that. Uh, th- this year, uh, we will be challenged uh, on the net farm income, which is sort of the universal measurement of uh, 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 the profitability of farms. So this year, given the world markets, given grains and some of the other products, we'll be challenged. Um, We will be challenged on the environmental side. Uh, Certainly here in in central Pennsylvania, we understand the significance of the Susquehanna River. Uh, But we uh, also know that we contribute that water flows somewhere. It flows into Chesapeake Bay. There are issues around sort of nitrogen and phosphorus in the bay, and uh, we've got to have um, uh, some further sort of conservation practices. The third, I would say, and it's one that's probably the least tangible, but that trust factor with consumers. I put that at the top of the list. The challenge for all of us in in, in agriculture is to maintain that trust, right? You never want to violate that. And they trust us on food, they trust us with the environment. Uh, and keeping that sort of uh, in check and, and, and engaging consumers and listening very uh, uh, carefully, I think is one of our, our big challenges. I'm curious, you, you mentioned the Susquehanna River, uh, you mentioned the Chesapeake Bay. Obviously, agriculture is a big part of uh, the cleanup of, of, of the bay. How closely is the Department of Agriculture in contact with the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection or some of those programs that uh, are involved in cleaning up the bay? Yeah, it, it is a full partnership uh, with uh, our, our colleagues, the Department of Environmental Protection, Department of Commerce, our federal partners, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, as well as the EPA, uh, in a partnership with the farm community. So it's interlinked. I mean, I think everybody in Pennsylvania has responsibility uh, for clean water. They have a right to it. They have a responsibility for it, and and what we've tried to do is to reset that conversation to make sure that uh, there is balance in in that uh, approach for our responsibilities as producers, understanding that there are really two co-equal goals with the Chesapeake Bay program. One is uh, clean water. Um, The other is uh, viable farms. You won't get the first without the second. In Pennsylvania, we have to find that balance again between sort of the economic enterprise. As I've noted, this past year was an exceptional year from a rainfall standpoint. Normal rainfall in Pennsylvania is about 41 inches. Uh, this uh, past year, we had uh, you know, an extra 25 inches of rain. 
So you think about what, the, what does that do to both crop production as well as sort of keeping water and soil in place. So a, a major challenge for mm -hmm. us. You know, we often hear, I, I talk often with the Pennsylvania Farm Bureau and they point out the successes that uh, Pennsylvania farmers, some of the changes that they have made uh, on their, their own farms to uh, make sure that there isn't uh, the runoff, of, uh, there isn't the nitrogen getting into the water, the phosphorus, that uh, they have made some real changes. But could we be doing more? Well, I think there's two, two, uh, two parts to that. One is you know, understanding the model that is used to sort of uh, uh, chart our progress, uh, in the progress of other states, by the way, uh, is a model that does not include the, the the uh, uh, voluntary practices that farmers do. It's only the practices that are paid for with state or federal funds. So you think about the good everyday management practices, the majority of what's on the landscape are things that may not be in the model. So we need to make sure that we capture fully, uh, and we're prepared to do that with Penn State Cooperative Extension and uh, DEPs leading, leading that with us. Um, there's always room to sort of improve. If you look at the practices of the last couple of years, more cover crops, uh, more more uh, uh, no-till planning. Uh, all of that is sort of, you see it here at the farm show, by the way. Uh, but I think we can really encourage more producers to, to uh, you know, continue the good work. But for those producers who uh, need some additional encouragement, we should do that. Mm. Uh, Secretary, I want to thank you very much for being on the program today. One final question. Uh, future. We've talked about the past. We've talked about what's going on right now. Uh, what are you looking forward to in the, in the future for Pennsylvania agriculture? Yeah, I think the, there, there's this rediscovery of, of agriculture and the value of it, both from a food standpoint, from uh, environmental quality standpoint, as well as jobs. Uh, I'm really encouraged by what I've seen, and I think the opportunity for us to, to do a great job of connecting um, you know, those who produce the food and fiber that we enjoy with those who consume it. Uh, it's really a, a great moment for us. I'm proud of what's at the Farm Show this year with Know Your Farmer. We have a relationship with our minister and our doctors and lawyers. What about the folks who feed us three times a day? I think it's the, it's the relationship we should have. We put a lot of trust in them. So I see that as an opportunity for Pennsylvania. Our diversity is our strength. Uh, the, the buying local, the looking at local product, identifying local product, PA preferred product, all of that is a direct connection and supports both the economic enterprise, but I think the quality of life in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania Secretary of Agriculture, Russell Redding, thank you very much for being with us today. Great, Great to be here, yes, thank you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Uh, history's been made at the 2016 Farm Show. Not only is this the 100th Farm Show, but for the first time in 60 years, there is a new flavor of a Farm Show staple, the milkshake. Strawberries and cream is the new flavor, and it's getting glowing reviews. Joining us on this portion of the program is Dave Smith, the executive director of the Pennsylvania Dairymen's Association. Dave, I, I, I mentioned that I have you on the program so often that I see you more than my wife sometimes, but <laughs> this is a big week for you, isn't it? It's a, it's a huge week, yes, very much so. Uh, you, you mentioned to me that it seems like that's all you're talking about all week is the new flavor. Did you realize that it would have that much of an impact on, uh, on the Pennsylvania Farm Show? Uh, frankly, I, I knew it would be very impactful. It's, we're, we've had a lot of fun with it. I mean, over the last few months, uh, you know, talking about it to a lot of different people. And, and we, we set out a long time ago and to pick out a flavor that uh, we wanted to introduce to help celebrate the 100th Farm Show. You know, it, it's a milestone for the Farm Show, and we wanted to set something off and do something a little bit different. So it's been a lot of fun. 
you know, the question that uh, I, I've talked to several people telling them that uh, we were going to be here today and we're going to be talking to you, and this was one of the questions that I had, too, is, what took so long? <laughs> <laughs> well, this, tell you the truth, Scott, this is a limited edition. I mean, uh, oh, no. we... we, no. we I want people to come out and taste it now because there's a lot of logistical things behind uh, working this uh, extra flavor into the system because of the volume of the milkshakes that we put through the over-the-counter here. So it, there, there are some challenges to, to, to doing this also, but we have had a lot of fun. Uh, people are loving it uh, and had a lot of interest in it, and uh, it, it's just been a really neat experience for us. Now, wait a minute. I want to make sure, if we have a news exclusive here, I want to make sure that uh, everyone knows this. A limited edition. That's our goal, yes. Now, the secretary's walking by shaking his head here like, no, it's oh, not a... Oh, no, no. I'm gonna have a he's going to have a discussion with me shortly afterwards. I can see he's shaking his head right now walking away. He says, no. He says, it can't be. Oh, no. So was it for this year only? Well, that's our, that's our intent is that it's a special for the 100th Farm Show. I don't know, Dave. You're getting some peer pressure now. <laughs> I, I guess I'll take some heat over that right, now. Well, how did you come up with uh, with this flavor? Well, we had a, a team or a group of us uh, had gotten together, you know, like six months ago, and, and we were talking about, you know, what we wanted to do special, and did, you know, talked about the milkshake flavor, and and our goal was to have something that would be you know, uh, very receptive to, to the masses and to the most people. And, and until we got down the list, this is the one we came up with. And I see you, Scott. You're, you're working on it. I'm, I'm, you're giving the thumbs up. And I have to tell you, I am not a big strawberry flavor guy. I love strawberries, but that is good. That good. is really good. It's great. And you see, I have a chocolate one. Well, I, I'm too, sure so. you're going to try the chocolate pretty <laughs> soon, too. So what does go into the the milkshake at, i mean other than the ingredients i mean what goes into making the process for the milkshakes at the farm show well we have a significant uh, um, expense and and numbers of, of equipment that we have to bring in to, to set this up so obviously if you set up with another flavor well we need additional equipment and and also it pulls away from our production of our other ones also so, and, and also along that line is too, we had to, uh, to order our supplies, at, you know, ahead of time. So there, there was no, no base of, of how much we would sell the strawberry either. So we're, we're out in, in no man's land as far as, as uh, guessing, you know, what kind of volume and supplies we need there. So, so we're taking some risk, you know, setting things up that way. But it's been a successful risk. You have been rewarded. Well, thank you. Thank <laughs> I mean, the, the news coverage this has gotten is just, I mean, it has been great all over the state. I saw the, on the first day when the, the day when uh, it was unveiled, it was a, a picture on every front page of the newspaper across the state. So, uh, you know, you got some, uh, some, some real publicity there. But, uh, it, you know, we, we make such a big deal out of this because it is a staple of the, the Pennsylvania Farm Show. Do you run into that, that uh, when you're out and you tell people what you do, that someone says, oh, Farm Show uh, sh uh, milkshakes, they're great? I, I often do, and in fact, even more so this year ahead of the uh, the new flavor shake. And it, like you said, you know, the publicity that's been out there, you know, in the polls and the contests that have right, gone right. on. And uh, just to give you a couple examples, I, I've run into people like at, uh, at at a grocery store and I'm standing in line. And, and, the, and I think the family, I didn't know personally, but they, they knew a brother of mine and they knew the connection a little bit and they said came up to me said what's the new milkshake flavor going to be you know out of the blue so uh, everywhere and and the people that we in fact i have people that were in the know 
that have told me that they have had people bribe them ah. with, you know, what is the new milkshake flavor? Did anyone take any of those bribes? Uh, I want to break some news here if we can. <laughs> We're going to investigate after after the farm show's over to see see who leaks any information. <laughs> congressional congressional investigation yeah, you afterwards. <laughs> you think well, we can get somebody good to do that? <laughs> well, the Dairymen's Association has joined up with Mid Atlantic Dairy Association and Feeding Pennsylvania to expand the charitable fresh milk program. They and the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank began last January. It's called Fill Glass with Hope. Last year, Fill a Glass with Hope enabled the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank to surpass one million servings of milk to hungry individuals. Joining us now is Joe Arthur, Executive Director of the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank. Joe, good to see you. Hey, good morning, Scott. And by the way, Joe is wearing a, a, a suit and tie today at the farm show. A Penn State tie. That's right, a Penn State tie. I'm not used to seeing You walked up to me and I had to do a double take because whenever we see you at WITF or I see you at the food bank, you know, you're in your work clothes, so. Well, hey, I know I don't have to look good on radio, but it's there's a public <laughs> official's breakfast, so I do have to clean up a little bit for that. Well, let's talk about the success, and Dave, you can uh, jump in here as, as well, but let's talk about the success of Phil Glass with Hope. I remember talking to you last January at the farm show about this when it got started, but one million servings of milk to hungry individuals in the 27 counties served by the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank. That's right. impressive. It, it was a, a huge year. Uh, you can't do that unless you raise enough money to support um, acquiring the milk. And uh, this is all Pennsylvania milk, all Pennsylvania farmers uh, and processed right here in Pennsylvania. Um, we really didn't know how to set a goal last year because it was brand new, uh, but we're thrilled. We went over a million actually by Thanksgiving Next year, you know, we're in 2016 with the farm show, the 100th farm show. We have set a goal of 2 million because we are taking it statewide with Feeding Pennsylvania, of which we're a member. Uh, so we're really excited. How does it work? Uh, it works this way. Um, when you come to the very best stand at the farm show, which is the milkshake stand, let's face it. I mean, it rocks. It's even bigger, it's even bigger than bacon, right? I mean, it's, this is big. Oh, we got a so, competition down. So when you, when you come there and you buy, you buy your milkshake, you have the opportunity to put money in one of our big cans. You can go online to Central Pennsylvania Food Bank or Feeding Pennsylvania. Uh, there are a lot of ways to give. The money you give extra to that goes for Pennsylvania milk. Straightforward, very easy to do. I, I think I remember talking to you about this last year when the, the, the program started. But, you know, when people think about uh, the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank, they think about meals, meals right. themselves. Right. Um, maybe not individual food items or beverages right. on those items. So why is it so important that milk and dairy products be part of this? Well, milk rounds out the healthy meal. So low-fat, healthy dairy, very important to people, but some folks can't afford that. It's, it's as important as fresh produce and uh, protein from meat. Milk is, low-fat milk is a very healthy food. So we wanted that in our menu, but we had to find a way to afford it. And fill a glass with hope, uh, which Dairyman, I have to thank Dave and Dairyman and Mid-Atlantic Dairy, uh, created a winner. Uh, and this winner really works. So we're thrilled, Scott. Um, we set a goal for next year of 2 million servings, and we're going to raise enough money this year, uh, hopefully, 
more than a quarter of a million dollars between the farm show and, and after the farm show, and that will pay for those two million servings. So, Dave, how did the dairymen get involved in this? Well, you know, it, it became a very logical partnership. Uh, I, I represent dairy farmers around the, the state and also have a, a board of directors that, that run the Dairymen's Association, and they're all dairy farmers. And we became aware of, of the lack or the, the need of, of milk in, in a lot of families. In fact, there's some statistics out there. There's a half a million children are, are uh, in need of, of uh, meals or, or nutrition during, during some time of the year and on ongoing basis. And just to give you an idea how many people that is, a half a million people, I mean uh, 500,000, I correct myself, 500,000 people, children are in need. And those 500,000 children could fill five beaver stadiums full. And those children need milk. And our dairy farmers are, are committed to helping food banks uh, raise some money to put milk into those families because no, no child should be without milk. So uh, we initiated uh, last Friday, we kicked off our, our, our campaign. And up front, we raised $150,000 with uh, corporate sponsors and uh, some lead donations. So that was even before you got started here? Just at our kickoff right. event here on, on this past Friday of Farm Show. Okay. So uh, we're actually about uh, halfway to our, almost halfway to our goal, like Joe says, of, of raising money to serve two million servings to, to families in need. Well, we have, but this is Wednesday. Uh, we have to Saturday to do it, so we're about halfway through the week. So that looks that looks pretty good. Uh, gentlemen, I want to thank you very much for being with us today. Dave Smith is with the Pennsylvania Dairymen's Association's executive director. Joe Arthur is executive director of Central Pennsylvania Food Bank. Before you leave, Joe, what advice? What would you ask our listeners for the rest of the the week? I would say uh, you're coming to the milkshake stand anyway, right? I mean, that's what everybody has to do. Um, look for those containers, drop a dollar or two in them. Everything helps. And just know that after the farm show, we are going to continue the campaign uh, so they can give later. If they can't make it to the farm show, they're still going to have an opportunity. Look for Feeding Pennsylvania. Look for Central Pennsylvania Food Bank. Dave? I am. Um I would just suggest that if you can't get the farm show, uh, go to those websites for Central Pennsylvania Food Bank or feedingpennsylvania.org backslash milk and donate for the cause. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Scott. And as I sit here, there's a new odor that has made it its way uh, <laughs> into uh, our, it's not a booth on our table, but uh, Fragrance, okay, odor, I won't use the word, thanks now. Uh, fragrance, yeah, that's a better way that, to describe it than odor, because I guess using the word odor at the farm show is brings up a, a whole other image. But uh, <laughs> uh, mushrooms, and they're moving them closer to me right now as we speak, so I'll try not to do this, uh, I'll try not to chew as I'm, as I'm on the air. Pennsylvania is one of the nation's leaders in dozens of agricultural farm products, but we are number one in mushroom production. Kennett Square in Chester County is the mushroom capital of the world. Kennett Square is number one in the U.S. for mushroom production, and Reading, probably a lot of people don't realize this, Reading is third nationwide. Mushroom farmers of Pennsylvania are making a big splash here at the 2016 Farm Show. Join, joining me is Gail Ferranto, who is president of Bona Foods in Chester County. Gail, welcome to the program. Thank you, Scott. You know, I grew up in Chester County. I grew up in Coatesville. So, or outside of Coatesville, been to Kennett Square many times, have actually been in mushroom houses. So I kind of know my way around here, but 
this is impressive. I mean, mushrooms in Pennsylvania, as we said, were number one in the nation in mushroom production, but you're getting a lot of attention here at the 2016 Farm Show. We really are. We're excited to be here this year. We, we, uh, we are offering our new item this year. It's called The Blend. So the whole talk, the blend is big. It's this blended mushroom burger. Can and I take a bite of that? Sure, please. Okay, let me do that. Well, while Gail's talking, I'm going to take a bite here. Because I've been waiting for a week to, to try this, quite frankly. But go ahead. Uh, the blended burger has gotten a great response here. I mean, people who don't even eat mushrooms, they love it. It tastes good. It's juicy. Lettuce, tomato. I mean, we. It is so much more than we thought it was going to be. Uh, I mean, we. I, in terms of supplies, as the dairymen's have said about their strawberry milkshake, this burger is over the top. It really is. I mean. I'm done, but uh, <laughs> with that bite, uh, it is really, really good. Um, but uh, and, and I can taste the mushrooms in it too. But uh, everything else, that is that is a good burger right there. All right, let's talk about mushroom production in Pennsylvania. How did uh, Chester County, how did Kennett Square become the mushroom capital of the world? And by the way, is your business, you're in Chester County, but where, yes. where are you? In uh, in uh, Landenburg, Pennsylvania. Okay, I know where Landenburg is. Um, but how did Chester County become this hot spot for mushroom production? History. History and families. We're, we, most mushroom farmers have been in the business. We're now working on fourth generation family businesses since the early 1900s. It's just simply where it started and it's just continued. And we've been so fortunate through these, you know, third and fourth generations that we all want to get involved. I mean, my grandfather grew mushrooms. My mother started our wholesale business. Uh, my brothers now grow mushrooms. Their children are going to Penn State for ag and they're looking to grow mushrooms. So we're really fortunate that our children and our, our ancestors really started a great opportunity for us. Production of mushrooms is unique compared to other crops that are produced. Talk about it. How are mushrooms actually produced? It is really unique. Uh, I heard once someone once said, I don't tell anybody what I do. It's just because it's so unique. Uh, what we do, uh, it, it, we, the mushrooms don't need any um, any light to grow like any other crop. And here at the Pennsylvania Farm Show, we have an exhibit at the mushroom. And That's right. You can't miss that. You can't miss the mushroom. And you can learn all about how we grow mushrooms, all the different stages, all the, the cycles that we go through, the time frame it takes between eight and 10 weeks to grow a mushroom. And it is really fascinating from the compost that goes in the farm to for the growing material to the end result of the crop of mushrooms that are just so versatile. They work in any dish that you cook. Well, that's part of what you're talking about with the blend is that versatility. And I have to tell you, just from the materials I had for background research, I'm like, oh, that is a great idea. Never thought about that. But you're right. You can put mushrooms with almost anything. You but really can. Talk about the blend a little bit more. Well, the blend, the blend came about through the Culinary Institute of America. We worked on it together, and when we, when we got it right, we were like, oh my God, this is, this is like the next big thing for the mushroom world. And we're blending, we're blending chopped fresh mushrooms with ground meat. And that can be burger, that can be red meat, turkey, pork. You can ground it in anything, and you saute the blended, the fresh mushrooms that you chop, and you make it the same consistency as the ground meat, and it blends seamlessly together. It's like peanut butter and jelly. I mean, it really is. And you don't even know it's in there, and it's lowering calories, it's lowering fat, 
And with the new dietary guidelines that came out this week, I mean, it's a home run. I mean, it's exact, it's a perfect fit. And, and you know what the best part? It tastes good. It does. It really tastes good. You can't beat that combination of being healthy and tasting good at the, at the same time. One question I do have to ask because I saw this with the, the brochure that you had for the blend. And one of the questions asked was uh, whether the, the mushrooms had to be sauteed, have to be cooked beforehand with the blend. They can be chopped and, and raw and put into the blend, or they can be uh, sauteed and put into the blend. They can be either way, but if you chop, chop them fresh and put them right into the ground meat, you have to really chop them a lot more, maybe using a food processor or if you're a good chopper. So just for background purposes, so that we can let our audience know how big we're, it is, uh, how many jobs, how much money uh, does uh, mushroom farming, do mushrooms bring to Pennsylvania? Mushrooms bring about two and a half to three billion dollar economic impact in Pennsylvania in total, which is a big number. How about jobs? In terms of jobs, uh, we grow all year round, so we have a nice opportunity. Our environment to work in is 62 degrees, whether it's 95 degrees out or like a real cold, chilly day today, yeah. which is, could be eight degrees. So it's a nice environment to work. We, we, we have a, a lot of opportunity for employment. So there are jobs out there? There are jobs out How there. How can people apply? <laughs> Come down to Chester County. Hey. Any, we, have, we have a lot of opportunities. Uh, well, and I think that uh, Chester County has grown so much over the years, and mushrooms, a big part of that, and it's part of the community in, in Chester County. And as I said, I didn't realize that Reading was number three in the state, so in the Reading suburbs as, as well. But... Uh, I know that talking about this, there are some listeners out there say, okay, how can I get some recipes? How can I learn more about the blend? Where can they find information on this? They can go to mushroominfo.com, and we have videos. We have a lot of recipes about the blend. Or if you come to the farm show, you go to the mushroom, or you go to the food booth and the mushroom uh, food court booth, we have the same recipe booklets, nice pictures, easy, 30-minute meals. And the mushroom, by the way, looks like a big mushroom, so it is easy to find. So, Gail Ferranto, president of Bona Foods in Chester County, thank you very much for being with us thank today. Thank you so much. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Pennsylvania Farm Show, I'm Scott Lamar with half a full mouth. I'm trying that mushroom, that blend mushroom. Oh, Mary, have you, have you tried this yet? No, not yet. Okay, well, I'm not going to have you eat off the same burger as I did, but... Uh, because we do practice healthy eating around here. But uh, it is very good. Take my, uh, my, my word for it. Joining us now is Mary Klaus, who has authored a new book, Hold the Horses or Hold Your Horses, the Pennsylvania Farm Show at 100. Mary, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. I'm pleased to be here. All right. This is obviously a history of the Pennsylvania Farm Show. What can you tell me right off the bat or tell our listeners that they wouldn't know about the Farm Show? The farm show wasn't always in this farm show complex. It started out at a farm implement building on January 23rd, 1917, at 10th and Market Street in Harrisburg. And it started out as a machinery show, so 43, 44 manufacturers showed their farm machinery, and 440 people were showing exhibits ranging from corn to wool to apples and so on. The farmers came to see the latest in farm equipment, but 5,000 people and the governor came too. And from 1917, it started growing. So in the early years, 
that building couldn't contain the farm show and it started moving to other places too. So if you wanted to see apples, you might go to one building. You wanted to see the um, wool display, you might go to another. By the late 1920s, it had spread all over Harrisburg. I called it a progressive dinner party because you had, to have, way. <laughs> you had to have a schedule and go place to place. And 1928, Governor John Fisher went to all the locations and said, wow, we need to have one place. He asked the legislature for funds and this farm show complex as a result. See, you just covered 100 years in like uh, a minute, and that, that's impressive. But I only uh, took you to 1931. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, the research that you did. First of all, how did you get the idea to do this? Was this something that the state wanted, uh, the Department of Agriculture? How did you get the idea of doing this? The Friends of the Farm Show Foundation approached me in 2011 and asked me to write the book. I have covered the farm show as a newspaper reporter right, my whole career. News, yeah. And I said I would do it under one condition. And they said, what's that? I said, let me make it cool and fun. History does not have to be dry. And I want to make this a lively book. And they let me do it. Talk about how lively it is. There are a lot of pictures. There's a, a lot of history in the book. Almost, a, you know, you look at it, one of the things, first things I thought of is that may make a great coffee table book for farm families or anyone who's interested in the uh, history of Pennsylvania. It is history, but it's the people's history. What I did a little differently than most books is I put funny things in it, but I interviewed not officials, but regular people. So what I did was there's 67 counties in Pennsylvania, and I did an, a profile of each county in Pennsylvania and one farm show family story. Since it's the 100th year, I did 100 trivia questions, and I promise you will not get them all right. Some of those trivia questions came from my research in what I call the attics of the farm show. All right, ask and me a question. Ask me a question. Go ahead. If you want to get the book, go ahead. What is the most unusual display that was ever at the farm show? Well, unusual is kind of a subjective thing, don't you think? All right, that, you're, you got me on that one, but I'm going to say... It's not an animal, but... It's not an animal. Okay. Um, let's see. I have no idea. How about tombstones? Okay, now, how, how did we work that into agriculture? How do we work some of the things we see today into agriculture? It's, uh, oh, farmers die. You die, we, I die, we all die, so it was worked in. What's the most unusual, one of the most unusual animals ever here? It's not a farm animal, not although, a it goes farm on far, animal. although it goes on farms. Okay, um, is it uh, from the sea, land? Land. Okay. Platypus. A bear. There was a bear here um, for the, from the um, Game Commission many years ago for people to see a bear, and that was pretty popular. Sounds that way. See, now this is kind of fun. I can tell this is a fun book. All right, what, what was your favorite story or the story that uh, kind of surprised you the most uh, as you were writing the book? I liked the funny stories that I could put in. I have lots of things you won't see somewhere else. Uh, the bull who thought he was a lamb, um, the butter sculpture had a sex change operation one day. What? <laughs> you I can hear? only imagine how that happened, but... Uh... It happened because the butter sculpture little building it was in the refrigerated case was accidentally hit by a forklift and that forklift knocked the characters down right before the unveiling the guy that made the sculptor came in and he saw that it was not in good shape and he realized what was wrong so what he did was he had to pick the woman up it was a cafeteria lady handing milk to a little girl he picked the woman up and fixed her but butter comes in 55 pound blocks and it was frozen and he only had a couple hours to do what he his magic and fix it. 
after he fixed the woman, he turned to the child, the little girl, and he realized she was damaged. So if he took the skirt off and made a pants, and if he took her hair and made it shorter, he could tidy her up. And the next day, it was a little boy. And I came over to him, and I said, I was in here with you yesterday, and it was a little girl. Now you have a little boy, and that's what happened. See? <laughs> Ingenuity of Pennsylvania farmers—that uh, that really uh, that's a that, that is a good example. Uh, any other stories that really stuck out to you? There was a family in McKean County on one of my profiles. The young man was in college, and their son was in college, and dad had lost his job in a layoff. They didn't have quite enough money. The boy comes to the farm show, and he gets a scholarship, which is a good the farm show scholarships. He had almost enough, but needed two hundred and fifty dollars, and they couldn't quite come up with it. Mom decides to make sticky buns. She made sticky buns, stayed up half the night, and they drive to Harrisburg several hours the next day, and she takes her sticky buns to enter, and she's holding her breath. She wins first prize, $500. He could continue on to college, and the family went out for pizza. And they were very happy. And that's what the farm show is. It's regular people having regular experiences. I have stories of families that have been at the farm show for generations. I have hundreds of names of regular people in this book. And I have stories of this experience. In 1996, I have a chapter about it called The State's Biggest Pajama Party when we had snow. Oh, yeah. um, 1,800 of us stayed here. I, um, I did too. I stayed down from the goats. Um, I have a chapter called Weathering the Farm Show. Harrisburg area folks love to say farm show weather. What a myth that is. Less than 19% of the time has had snow at the farm show. And I got that statistic by working with a meteorologist from the National Weather Service. We looked at every day of every farm show from January 23rd, 1917, till the last Farm Show Day in 2015. Analyzed it and came up with a statistic. So Farm Show weather is such a myth. In, in 2007, um, people were wearing T-shirts and shorts to the Farm Show because it was 67 degrees. Yeah, see, if it would have been last week, we could have done that here uh, as well. Mary Kloss, the, the name of the book? Hold Your Horses, the Pennsylvania Farm Show at 100. Now, where can people purchase a copy of the book? You can buy it here at the Farm Show, both in the main exhibition hall and in the Weiss exhibition hall. And you can get it at Lancaster Farming in Ephrata. You also can get it online at pafarmshowbooks.com. Mary, it sounds great. And, and the, the money from the book goes to the Friends of the Farm Show Foundation, which puts the money back into the Farm Show. Mary Klotz, thank you very much for being with us today. You're welcome. Thank I'll tell you what, folks, this is, this is one of the most enjoyable experiences of the whole year. That, that book really sounds like uh, is something that you enjoy. One of the displays getting a lot of attention at the 2016 Farm Show is sponsored by the Pennsylvania Landscape and Nursery Association. Jimmy Kreider is Director of Field Operations for Land Studies, an environmental restoration company based in Lidditz in Lancaster County. I see your card says James, but you told me you were Jimmy. So, Jimmy, uh, welcome to uh, Smart Talk, and uh, thank you very much for being with us today. I mentioned that uh, your display is getting a lot of attention. I have to admit, I saw an article in the newspaper, a local newspaper, talking about a rain barrel that was part of a display that uh, you have. And this wasn't just your average everyday barrel that collects water from rain. It was decorated with flowers, plant growth. It was just a beautiful thing. And from what I understand with uh, the display that uh, the Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania Landscape and Nursery Association has, that that's just one of many beautiful displays. Uh, talk about your display and what you were trying to do with it. Sure. Well, the focus of our display this year is on, well, this is the first year that the PLNA has ever uh, 
exhibited at the farm show, which is exciting. Um, and the Pennsylvania Landscape and Nursery Association is actually uh, the leading trade organization for the green industry in Pennsylvania, which is about a $6.8 billion industry within the agricultural sector, so it's quite large. But our focus on this display this year is outdoor living PA with the theme of sustainability. Right. The, the overall theme of the farm show sustainability, and in particular our display, is sustainable landscaping. So there's all types of things that you can do, um, whether you're a residential owner, a commercial owner, or you might have a large property, you might have a small property. Um, you can do things in your backyard, in your front yard, that are sustainable and can help to uh, solve larger problems in our community, especially um, in terms of the environment. Well, let's talk about that because you know, it seems as though a nice lawn, a nice green lawn has gotten a big name or a bad name for many people uh, nowadays. They say, well, you must use chemicals, you must use that, you must use that, you know, use this that is causing problems for the environment. So how do you have a nice lawn, have nice landscape property, but yet it's sustainable? Sure. Well, step one, you can have a nice lawn and have it be not detrimental to the environment. For example, if you go to uh, P the PLNA website and find a member that provides lawn services, they're going to be certified by the state to apply those chemicals in the correct amount so that you don't have excess nutrient runoff into the watersheds, etc. Um, so there's some steps that you can take there. But our display shows additional steps. For example, if you're putting in a patio, you can put in a porous or a permeable patio that allows water to to infiltrate into the ground instead of just running directly off into a stream carrying pollutants with it. Uh, there's rain gardens, um, there's bioswales, and all of these things you can see in our display. Bioswale, what's that? Yeah, a bioswale is essentially just a swale uh, that conveys uh, stormwater runoff, um, which means you know water flows off of a parking lot and it goes somewhere. It goes to a concentrated point, usually a low spot, um, which would be a swale, and it's going to uh, go follow a, a path down to eventually a stream and eventually the Chesapeake Bay. Well, oftentimes these swales are you know, either ditches or just a mowed turf, um, which really all they do is provide a conveyance of the water, get it from point A to point B. Sometimes it's concrete. Um, so a bioswale includes biology, it includes green plants, roots, uh, foliage, nutrient cycling, uh, an actual ecosystem that can provide ecosystem services that does more than just convey stormwater, it reduces pollution. From what you're describing here, it sounds as if uh, landscapers and uh, nursery people are not just there for beauty anymore, that uh, you are part of the solution as far as sustainability. Am I giving you too much credit? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> um, that, that is an, an emerging um, focus of the field today of the horticultural industry, and, and PLNA has, has grasped that. Uh, uh, they have done all kinds of things uh, relating to uh, certifications and education. And that's the other part of this, this, this display, is not, not only to connect uh, potential consumers with PLNA members and professionals, but also to educate and provide awareness. So we have a lot of signage that describes what a rain garden is, what a bioswale is, and why it's important. Well, okay, now I'm talking about uh you know, the, your association, members of your association being more, thinking more about sustainability. What about your customers? What about Pennsylvanians? Is this something that 
they are thinking about more often today? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, I first started in this industry about 10 years ago, and at that point, it was something that you know people knew about, but not a lot of people were doing it. Um, now we're doing more and more of it, and a lot of people are interested in what they can do. Um, there's all kinds of local organizations, grassroots movements, etc. So to speak. Yes. Grassroots. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm sure, obviously, you would like uh, our listeners, people here to the Farm Show, Pennsylvanians, to contact one of your members, and that's fine. We'd encourage that. <clears throat> but for those who want to do something on their own, how can they do it? As the far as the sustainability goes. Right, right. Well, the nice thing is we have the Internet today. Okay, so if you want to do something on, on your own, you can do a lot of research um, just via the internet. But you have to find a good source, um, a reliable source. Uh, your local extension agency, like the Penn State Extension, um, that's a good place to start, um, whether it's online or reaching out to them. The PLNA website has information on Outdoor Living PA. We have a lot of the educational things that you can see at our display are on the website. So you, you, can, you can learn how to do a lot of these things yourself. And some of it's just you know, mowing less, frequency, or mowing less frequently um, on your lawn, not using as many chemicals, et cetera. Mm. You know, I mentioned to you, I saw the article in the newspaper. This was actually an LMP, uh, Lancaster's newspaper. Uh, Raffo Township uh, had, uh, they have part of your display, the Chickie's Rain Garden is uh, what I pointed out, some great pictures in the newspaper. Uh, of, of this rain garden and you know many people and I kind of started off by saying that uh, many people when they think of a rain barrel think of a barrel and seriously I mean there are some people that that's what they use they find a plastic barrel cover it so that there's in, not insects running around mosquitoes all over the place and that's fine you know to, to use the water and uh, to uh, reuse it but this rain garden that uh, that uh, the ex that the uh, the Watershed Expo, or I should say the Alliance, I'll get this straight yet, that uh, Chickie's Rain Garden has from Raffo Township is just beautiful, and it is one of many in your display, correct? Right. Yeah, and the neat thing about um, this particular rain garden is it shows you subsurface what's going on. So by subsurface, I mean below the ground. So it's not just a shallow depression with plants in it. Um, this is a cross-section. You can see uh, what's underneath of it. There's a layer of dirt. There's a layer of sand. Um, there's areas for the water to go and to be stored in the stone. And there's, a, there's an underdrain. Um, it's complete with uh, circulating water to show what happens you know what happens to the rain when it falls it goes down and it penetrates into the ground and provides nourishment for those plants and and recharges groundwater and lots of other good things but this was created by a collective effort by the Chickies Creek Watershed Alliance and Raffo Township and also uh, Harbor Engineering and th they designed this they put this together and they initially use it at their expo um, which happens once a year and it's mainly for education to show people what they can do with a rain garden, and you know, so we brought it to this show to get to give it more exposure. You know, Jimmy, as we're speaking, it's about uh, 22 degrees outside. <laughs> uh, in about 30 seconds or less, what can uh, those listening do with their properties this time of year? Plan or what? 
Yep, it's a great time to plan. Um, if, if you are able to get out and do some pruning, um, you can do that. Um, I've considered mulching at my own property just because I have time to do it this year. It's not necessarily the ideal time to do it, but when you have time, you have time. Jimmy Kreider is Director of Field Operations for Land Studies, an environmental restoration company based in Lidditz in Lancaster County. Jimmy, thank you very much for being with us today. You're welcome. We had a great time here at the 2016 Farm Show. Look forward to this every year. I hope that uh, you enjoyed the program as well. Coming up tomorrow, we will have a real rocket scientist, uh, part of the Mars rover team that designed uh, the, the rover for, that landed on Mars. So be sure to tune in. I'm Scott Lamar. Have yourself a great day.